John chapter 21, 15 through 17 last week, and today verses 18 and 19, still the same context, same setting, same conversation, still Jesus and Peter. In 15 through 17, you remember three questions, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then you saw three affirmative answers uh, from Simon, and uh, he kept saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you know, you know, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you. So, same title as last week, the title is, The Question We All Must Answer. Question is, do you love me? Christ is the one asking, you are the one answering the question. Verses 18 and 19, as we finish the discourse here, he says, Amen, amen, or truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you're not willing or where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. See verse 19a again. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There is our text. Let us pray and we'll look at this this morning. Father in heaven, again, I ask Holy Spirit that you would help us today, that you would make this real for our own hearts, for the preacher, for the hearer, that we would sit before the Lord Jesus Christ We would look him in the eye with no one else around, and we'd give answer to the question, knowing uh, that you know our heart, our motive, our desires, our pleasures. You know it all. Help us to honestly answer the question, and this morning, we'd ask that you'd be so kind to show us the implications of our answers. We pray these things by your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. All right, the question has been asked, very clear question, do you love me? Peter has given the answer in the affirmative. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a theologian to figure this out. Do you love me? Yes, yes, and yes. That's what Peter has said. I hope that you have given your answer. If not, I challenge you to give it to Christ soon, what your answer is. The answer that is given by Peter and the answer that is given by you has ramifications, has certain implications that will come, such as to love Christ is to follow Christ. To love Christ is to imitate Christ. To love Christ is to die to self. 
To love Christ is to walk on a narrow path of persecution until death arrives. As Matthew Henry quipped and said, there's only one way into the world. There's a whole lot of ways out of it. Only one way in. There's a lot of different ways to go out. You see, some people die in their sleep. Some people die in their youth. Some people die in their old age. Some die in a very quick episode, car wreck, plane crash, something of this sort. Some in a long, drawn-out, miserable death of years in a nursing home, an inoperable disease, something of this sort with a lot of pain and suffering. But it is those who love Christ that die in whatever the circumstance, they die in a way that gives glory to God. The question for us is, is how will you die? It's not will you die, you will, but how will you die? In what way will your death promote the glory of God? We've said it often, we continue to say it, you have a 100% chance of dying. If you know this, and you know because I just told you, if you know this, that reality must affect your present circumstance. You have to say, I am going to die. Then how shall I live? It can't escape death. It's right there before me. I've got 6,000 years of history to validate the point. Then if that's the end, what do I do now? What do I do with my life? I'm going to face the thrice holy God. Since that's true, maybe you should prepare to meet Him. Why waste your life being carnal? Why waste your time on that which does not profit? Why spend so much money and time on things that actually are contrary to the purpose of being Spending time with the Lord. It seems a lot better just to heed the warning that the Lord gives us. And the warning He gives us, we quote Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth. Don't do that. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It doesn't even make sense, not logically at all. But you say, well, what, what in the world am I going to do? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do that. Well, why in the world would I do that? Well, moth and rust don't destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your heart is, where your heart is, it's where your treasure is. Or maybe we should listen to James. James reminds us of the value of carnal things, does he not? James says this, your riches have rotted. Your riches have rotted. Think about all of the people scratching the lotto ticket and playing the Powerball number, and James is standing there going, all of it rots. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. 
Think about all the women in their fashion design, with all their moth-eaten material, with their clothes in the back of the closet they won't wear ever again in their entire life. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and, and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Prophets, nothing. Heed the warning. Well, as we look at these last two verses, my thesis is simple. An affirmative answer to the question, do you love me? An affirmative answer produces a life of confirmation to your answer, or it produces a life of defamation. Which has it been? Which will it be? Point number one, affirmative answer. Just a very small recap of verses 15 through 17. There's no question here in the sense of what Peter has said. Not only has he answered, but they've written it down that we can see it before our eyes the rest of time. Everybody knows what Peter has said in answer to his response. Now, you don't know what my answer is this morning, and I don't know what your answer is. We want to think the best thing. We want to think for the best answer. But let's just pretend in a sense we don't know anybody's answer, but we know Peter's answer, and we're going to see a little bit of what that means for him. The affirmative answer means there are opportunities for the future. There are opportunities before the man who says, I love Jesus. You can, what are opportunities? You can serve the Lord's sheep until he comes. You, you can suffer through all the obstacles of life, whatever obstacles may come. You, you, can, you can have speech that you give that identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the culture in which we live, you can open your mouth and state your position, and you can be marginalized and ostracized and vehemently denounced as some kind of raving heretic if you open your mouth. It's the opportunity that's before you. State your case go big or go home, I am with Christ. A whole world may hate me, but I have chosen my lot, I've drawn my line in the sand, and here I stand, I can do no other. Me and Christ are together on this deal. The whole world is against, it don't matter. Me and Elijah are standing on top of the mountain against 450 prophets of Baal, and we're saying, we're with Christ. Yes, I love you, Christ. I love you so much that I'll deny all the pressures of the world and I'll own you as my king at whatever cost may come. There's ongoing responsibilities for the person who loves Christ. There's faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness to the work of the Lord, for the pastor to be faithful in pastoral ministry till he dies, for the Christian to be faithful to his Lord, to be faithful to his church, to be faithful no matter what the opposition may be, faithful to the truth even when truth hurts, even when truth costs, even when truth marginalizes you. You're faithful to the truth. Why do you remain faithful? Because I love Jesus. And because I love him and his value is so high, I'm not compromising truth. What saith the scripture? Apostle Paul, Romans. What saith the scripture? That's what it says, that where I be. 
Faithfulness to the true. What are the ongoing responsibility? Faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a Sunday morning vacation. It's not a religious meeting in which we just pass through the corridors of time. The person who loves Christ is faithful to Him Monday. He's faithful to Him on Friday. Faithful to Him when He loses His job. Faithful to Him when His kids rebel. Faithful to Him when everything goes wrong, He's still faithful. Why? How can you keep... Job, you make no sense. How can you love God? How can you follow Christ when all this bad has happened? You lost your kids, you lost your house, you lost all your livestock, and you mean to tell me you're going to keep worshiping? I love Christ. Or Moses says, I'd rather suffer all these things for the sake of the riches of Christ. This is what happens for the affirmative answer. Whatever comes, as I like to say, whether it's hell or high water, casts my lot, faithful unto Christ. Why? For what I get? No, because I love Him. Why do you love Him? Oh, you know the answer. Because He first loved me. Obvious implications of the affirmative answer. Time and circumstances will prove or disprove your answer. I know the ease of Sunday morning. Yes, I love Jesus. It's an easy one. Yes, I love Jesus. Anybody can say that on a Sunday morning. There's no weight to it, there's no responsibility to it in a sense, there's, there's no pressure. But time is going to expose your answer as a lie, or it's going to expose your answer as valid and real. I love Jesus. Do you now? Do you love Him when you get the word that you have inoperable cancer? Do you love Him when you get in a situation where there's no cure? Do you, get, do you love Him when your family member gets COVID and they're slipping day by day closer to death? Do you still love Him? Do you deny Him? It's the pressures and the difficulties will bring out the truth or the untruth of your answer. You see, the testing circumstances are what bring out the revelation of the heart. I'd love to believe you. Come to me and say, Pastor, I love Jesus. I'm a good guy. I want to believe you. I hope you love Jesus. But I know time will tell. Time will tell. It's a difficult one for a lot of people. Implications of the yes answer. To answer yes that you love Jesus will separate you from the world. Separate you from a lot of people in the church. We don't like to be separated out. We don't like to not be included. I love Jesus. I'm not invited to the party. I called my neighbor the other day, he had a party. That's what I called him. I said, you never invite me to your party, what up? <laughs> Just have a conversation here. It's fine, we had a relationship a long time. You're not inviting me. I'm excluded. Why? Because I love Christ. If I come to your party, I'm talking about Jesus. Excludes you. Separates you out. You get around in work and everybody gets together. They want to do something. They don't invite you. They don't want you there because you bother their conscience. You know, if the family event doesn't want you to participate because it makes everything awkward. 
If we can just all get together and sing Kumbaya, great. But don't bring Brother Randall or Sister so-and-so because they're going to talk about Christ and holiness and godliness and we can't have fun anymore. You see, but if you love Christ, how can you not say something about Christ? How can you be silent when your name of your Lord is being blasphemed? How can you sit in silence? And so you open your mouth and all of a sudden the divide comes and you're marginalized. And also in a positive sense, though, I would say this, that if you really love Christ, the fear of man will diminish over time. You see that in Peter. You can throw me in prison. You can lock me up. You can beat me. See it with Paul. You do whatever you want to do with me. I don't care what you think, and I don't care what you say. You judge whether it's right in the sight of God or in the sight of man. But we have to preach the gospel. This is his position. He loved Christ. And so man's influence and pressures, it didn't matter if it was kings or potentates or popes or whoever it was, it didn't matter. This is Christ, and I'm not going to compromise. The fear of man starts to go away. I just want to make sure that Christ is approving. All the applications of every point are the same, and they're short. The affirmative (coughs) to the question, do you love me, is known in truth to the Lord Jesus you answer affirmative, he knows, and is demonstrated to the church and to the world by your actions. Your affirmative answer is known to Christ. He knows your answer right now. He knew your answer yesterday. He knew your answer before you were created. He knows your answer. But don't misunderstand. There's implications here. You answer yes, your actions of how you live expose your answer to your church family and to the world. Make no mistake about it. The world knows whether or not you love Christ. They know what your position is. They know what makes your heart beat. They know. They see that. Your children know whether or not you love Christ. You don't try to think you come to church on Sunday morning, you've got them full. They see you all week. They know whether or not you love Christ. The people you work with, they know by your speech, by your action, by your attitude, and everything you do, they know, no matter what comes out of your mouth, they know whether or not you love Christ. It's true of all of us. Our actions are exposers of our heart. All of these things are true for Peter and for his future. So hold that thought. All of that I know to be true, and it's true for his future. Now, verses 18 and 19, alarming application. The alarming application. Look there again in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted Selfish living. There are several different ways we could take the text, but I'm just going to say past when you were younger. In this context, Peter's about 30 years of age, referring to things previous to this. I'm just going to make a couple of observations about young men. Let the Spirit of God apply it however He wants to apply it. Young men vacillate between many different things. They got strength, they got energy, they got zeal. And they can balance a lot of things at once. And they jump around a lot of different issues. Young men seem to be led primarily by their own passions. In a lot of different ways, in a lot of different areas. You can go here, there, and everywhere and somehow have the energy to do all of that. As you get older, you lose a lot of that. Young men commit to a lot of things, even religiously. They commit to a lot of things, 
And somewhere they decide they change their mind. So one day it's this, one day it's that, one day it's the other. Make a commitment, change the commitment. I'm going to be in the church. I'm out of the church. I'm going to preach. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to evangelize. I'm not going to evangelize. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to serve my church. I'm not going to serve my church. It's, it's all this unresolved immaturity. Also, it could refer in the sense of a young convert who just believed in Christ and has not any track record to go with it, has not built up maturity in Christ. J.H. Eliot, I'm not familiar with, he understood this to mean a new convert. He contrasts his tempestuous youth with the maturity, the maturity uh, or serenity of old age. It's possible. Calvin, on the other hand, points out that young men have a lot more freedom until Christ calls them. Once a man is a true disciple, difficulty and suffering will become the lot and the course of the narrow path. Before I came to Christ, I did whatever I wanted to do, but now that Christ has called me, things have gotten much narrower. This is not a familiar message in the evangelical world. Come to Christ and suffer. Come to Christ and die. Come to Christ and be stripped of yourself and live for the glory of God. If you will die, then you shall live. It's going to cost you to follow Christ. This is not the religion for ease and comfort. This is a religion of blood, sweat, and tears that see the value of Christ so high that no matter what suffering may come, this is the way I shall walk. Peter was around 30, as I previously said, when Jesus said these things to him. It implied that when he was younger, he did much of what he wanted to do. Here, in our text, here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. You have answered in the affirmative. Now, things are going to change. Now, things are going to get a lot more clear. So, we read the rest of the verse. He says, but, here's the contrast, but when you are old... You're going to stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you're not willing to carry you where are not willing. Future, <coughs> when older. And again, these first few things are observations I want to make. And if you're an older person in the room, I hope you understand them, and I hope they're true of you in some regard. Older men narrow down what's important in life. They can't do everything. They don't have the health, they don't have the energy, and I don't have the strength. So I've decided that this is important, and I'm going to give myself to this one thing. Okay? Older men are led, sadly to speak, the older you get, it becomes true, are led by things outside of their control. Doctors tell them what to do. Health tells them what to do. The world puts things on them they didn't want. They don't have the strength to keep it off. This happens as we get older, and if you don't believe that, you start dealing with parents who are near unto a nursing home. You take men like my dad who are real men, strong and tough, I'm not going to no nursing home, just live right here and die right here, just bury me in the back. That's my daddy. But one day, it's going to be out of his control. Somebody else is going to make decisions for him. 
even if it's not the decision he wants. Older men commit and stick it out even in the face of opposition. It's that generation that this world knows nothing of. The generation of my dad and my grandfather and back beyond. A generation that shook your hand and said, this is what I'll do. And they gave their word and they kept it. You didn't need a paperwork and didn't need this many papers to buy a new car. They just said, this is what I'm going to do. And they kept their word. Older, more mature. People that know how to rationalize things out. <coughs> Older men seemingly are restrained by their age, by health, limited possibilities. But pause. Make sure everybody in the room hears this. Older does not mean less valuable. Older does not mean non-important. Older does not mean I don't have to listen because you're 80. Look, I want to listen because you're 80. You probably know 10 times more than I know, and we ought to respect our elders. And you ought to say, sir, and you ought to say, ma'am, and you ought to look people in the eye who have that gray hair on top of their head. For Peter, when he's old, he's going to stretch out his hands and another's going to dress him. <coughs> D.A. Carson, stretch out your hands, that phrase was understood in the ancient world. It's very understood. It widely referred to crucifixion. You're going to stretch out your hands means you're going to be nailed to a tree. Another guy that I'm not familiar with, but most likely, quote, condemned, a condemned prisoner was tied to his cross member. He was forced to carry his cross to the place of execution. The cross member would be placed on the prisoner's neck and shoulders, his arms tied to it. He would be led away to death. This is what's going to happen, Peter. You're going to go this way, and this is going to be the result of your ministry. You're going to tie you to this crossbeam over your neck, and they're going to lead you to a place, they're going to fasten it to a pole, and they're going to hang you before the world and watch you die. Listen, hey, I, I know it's true that this is Peter's lot. This is what's going to happen as you mature in Christianity. As you're faithful to preach, as you're faithful to shepherd the church, as you're faithful to write two books of the Bible, as you live things right, doing devotions and prayers and meditations and living a godly life, this is what you can expect, martyrdom. Thus, in the end, when he is older, he will die death, much like the death of his Savior will carry you where you are not willing, is the phrase there at the last, verse 18. Does this phrase sound familiar? Where you're not willing in view of the cross. Father, if you are willing, let this cup Pass from me. That's what he says. Nevertheless, not my will, not, it's not what I will. Who wills to be nailed to a tree and mocked before the world and bleed a horrible death? Who wills that? Not my will, but here. But as long as your will is carried out, that's all that matters because I love you. That position of Christ is now taken up by Peter. 
I'm no, it's not my will to have this horrific martyrdom. I don't want that over my head. But if that's your will and it's for your glory, sign me up. Why? Because I answered in the affirmative. I said yes, and I meant it. So whatever it costs, I'll pay it. You're worth that much. You're worth all the sacrifice. You're worth all of the turning of everything away. You're worth everything. I tell you what, I submit my whole life to you. And if that means I got to go to Burma and die, if that means I got to go in the mission field in Peru, in northern Peru, and die, if that means I have to put myself in a local church and serve with my abilities until I die, I'm going to serve that church to the best of my ability. Whatever you want, I've answered in the affirmative. The flesh of man is certainly opposed to martyrdom, but the Spirit will strengthen the believer for obedience in that hour. Thus the believer says, I am not willing, but I will. I'm not willing, but I will. Submissive living. You had selfish living in the past, selfless living in the future, and now we have submissive living. What you do now, today, this present age, to love Jesus is, is to submit to His plan, even if the climax is death. To love Jesus is to die daily to the flesh and to live unto the Spirit. To love Jesus is to live daily in contradiction to the whole world. That's exactly what Peter did. You read the book of Acts, we're going to preach through the books of Acts. Everything he did was in contradiction to the whole world. And didn't matter. He had already answered in the affirmative. His life proves it. To love Jesus is to align yourself to the clear words of the Bible. And then I would say sacrificial living. Sacrificial living. Why do you say sacrificial living? Well, verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. What kind of death glorifies God? I come to Jesus in John 12, 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. John 18, 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Certainly, if you look at Christ and understand the Bible in any sense... The death of Christ brought glory to God. The death of Christ magnified the honor of God. All of these things are true. You know that Christ lived in such a way that his dying honored God. You must make the connection. It's not the means if I die <coughs> because of cancer, if I die because of COVID, if I die because of a car wreck, if I die because somebody runs over me on my bicycle. It's not that part that brings glory to God. The part that brings glory to God is how is the life lived until the death? You look at the cross and you say, this is horrific. Yeah, but as you look at the cross, remember the 30-something years before and how the life was lived. And I look at the cross and I say, there's a man who loved God. I look at Peter with a lesser degree, but with the same emphasis. I say, here's the man who loved Christ. How do I know that? I've read Acts, and I've read Peter. And here's the man that was willing to die for Christ. Suffering is the way to show the glory of God. <clears throat> Remember the Apostle Paul 
guy by the name of Ananias, Acts 9. Strap this on American religion today. Here's what God says to Paul through Ananias. Here's the message I want you to give to this new convert, Paul. His name was Saul. We changed it to Paul. I got a word for him, word of counsel. Ananias says to Paul, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, just bear with me a second. In the old evangelical church, they have this invitation. They get people to come down. They repeat some little prayer. They stand them up front. Little Johnny and Bertha and Sister Susie all accepted Jesus today. Everybody says amen. Amen. And everybody claps, right? At what point in an evangelical service did they ever sit down with them and say, this is what it's going to cost. This is what you're going to pay. This is, this is the path. You say you want to walk this path. This is what the path looks like. It's bloody. It's isolated. It's oppressive. It's difficult. It's uphill both ways all the time. There's attacks from every side. If you take this path, you're going to suffer in some sense for the rest of your life. I don't want that. If you see the value of Christ, you'll want that. If you don't see the value of Christ, you're like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But if you see the beauty of Christ, you're like, I don't care what it costs. This just irks me that the evangelical preachers of the world don't tell them there is a cost. It's not you come to Jesus and your marriage gets better. Come to Jesus and your finances get better. Come to Jesus and you get a new car. That's hogwash. You come to Christ and you die to self for the glory of Christ. That's the gospel. What about Hebrews? He says in Hebrews, he says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you, you come to this knowledge of Christ, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. It's the nature of Christianity. You say, well, we don't live in a world that persecutes anymore. Apparently, you're not living Christianity. You can't even survive in your own family if you open your mouth and speak truth without having conflict. So in this world of trying to tell me what pronoun I'm supposed to use, don't tell me that you don't have any suffering or persecution. If you won't play the pronoun game, you will suffer in some way from the world. By the way, I told him in Sunday school, you have to address people by the name they choose. And I've chosen the name Handsome. It's silly. Okay, moving on. Anything of value is worth suffering for. And in suffering, the worth of the thing is made known. What, what, what do you live like you live? What do you do what you do? Why do you go where you go? Why do you sing like you sing? Why do you pray like you pray? You people at work, they're like, why are you like this? Why do you act like this? Why do you dress like this? Because I love Christ. Because I love Him. That's the whole thing here. It's because of my relationship with Christ. He's so valuable that I don't care about lotteries. He's so valuable I don't care about alcohol. He's so valuable I don't care about the philosophies of the world. He's so valuable that I'm willing to pay whatever it takes to be identified with Him. It's greatly also encouraging. It's also greatly encouraging to know that our whole future is known by our Lord and is God, He is guiding us in a way that would bring glory to Him and work for our eternal good. Application is the same. 
the affirmative to the question, do you love me, is known in truth to the Lord Jesus, and it is demonstrated to your church family and to the world by the way in which you live. Thirdly and lastly, the end of verse 19, after the parentheses, you have this last statement. And after saying this, Jesus is the one doing the saying, he says to him, him being Peter, clear word, follow me. Present active imperative, it's a command. To follow someone as a disciple, to be a disciple, to follow. I just say to you, the command still applies. The command comes from divine authority. And the command is ongoing for the duration of your Christianity. Tomorrow, follow me. Wednesday, follow me. Saturday, follow me. The command is continual on every day, non-changing, given by divine authority. And you think about the Gospel of John, just to put it in a snapshot, if you will. If you went all the way back to chapter 1, I wonder what Jesus said. You remember the call to Christianity? Follow me. That's what he said in chapter 1. You remember? They're out there fishing those things, right? Follow me. That was the call. What path are we going to follow? It's the one that's really narrow. It's difficult. You remember Pilgrim? Chris is there at the Hill of Difficulty. (laughs) This one's difficult. Over here looks easy and over here looks easy. And Timorous and Mistrust, they go this way and you never see them again. The Christian says, this is the way, I'm going this way. I've been called to Christianity, and I'm following him. Whatever the path is, no matter how narrow it is, I'm following. The end of the path is death for the glory of God. The purpose of the path is God's glory. Think about Peter. I love this about Peter, in case you miss it in this passage. Jesus gives him this word, and then for the next three decades, he follows Christ knowing that the climax is martyrdom. You see how contrary that is to our thinking? Here's how we think. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I go to church on Sunday. Why are bad things happening to me? I do good. I do good. I do good. Where's the reward? Peter preaches writes, lives godly and holy, knowing that there's not this little earthly temporal prize. I'm going to be good for three decades, and I'm going to be rewarded with martyrdom. Sign me up. You say, how in the world can you do that? You can only do it if you understand the value of Christ. It's the only way, because it does not make any sense in the world. Nobody signs up and says, do good, do good, do good, do good, be slaughtered. No, I don't want that one. What's the next choice? But when you see the value of Christ, whatever the cost is, is minimal in relation to His worth. I challenge every one of you, myself included, if you answer affirmative, there's a narrow road that ends in death, but it's not the end. Because on the other side of death, there is eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
when the Lord Jesus ascends, it officially marks a new era in the purpose and plan of God. It is now time for the church to be birthed and for the gospel to cover the earth. The church is the bride of Christ, the apple of his eye, the joy of his heart, and the only institution on the face of the earth that he will return to gather unto himself. Knowing these truths, it is impossible, it is impossible to claim love for Jesus without love for his church. Thus, an affirmative answer to the question, do you love me, will necessitate a love for the church. Love of Christ is verbal and invisible. Love of Christ, verbal and invisible. I don't know what you've told him. I can't see that. But love of the church is active and visible. The man out here says, I love Christ, but he has no love for the church. His actions prove his love is false. The way love of Christ is demonstrated is by the way in which one loves the bride. Peter knew this. Peter's love for Christ is demonstrated in the book of Acts and what he records in First and Second Peter. It's obvious that he loved Christ. Lastly, in closing, the question hangs over your head and over my head this morning. Making your answer known this morning. Priorities? What are your priorities? Interest. It's your financial records. If I looked at your finances, I could tell you how much you love Christ. Commitments, etc. Clearly showing the Lord, the church, and your family, and your friends who you love. They know who you love. You're demonstrating it by your action. These two sermons that I preached last week and today come with a clear challenge for you to look to Jesus and to look Him in the eye, you and Him alone, and answer the question, do you love me? That's what He's asking you. Now, I know these things are weighty, but what are your options? If it's not yes, it's no. No, I don't love you. You can at least be honest. I don't love you. I just want to be religious where my conscience don't bother me. You could say that. This is the only option you have, yes or no. What is your answer? What is your answer? What is your answer? What are you trying to do? Some kind of a public appeal, get people to come forward? I don't care whether you come forward or not. The, the issue is, how are you going to answer Christ? I'm not asking the question. I'm just preaching the question in order that you would deal with the question before Him. Do you love me? You have to do something with that in your heart before Him, and then it's going to be revealed in the way you live. Even for the lost man or the lost woman in the room, do you honestly want to stand up this morning and say, I hate Jesus? You want to say, what to say, I think Jesus is a farce, I don't care two cents about him. You want to say that this morning? You want to stand up and say that? Surely not. 
You surely want to say, well, I love Jesus. If you love him, follow him. He says, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You believe Christ, you love Christ, the baptismal waters can be filled. You can give testimony, you can be baptized, and tell the whole church you believe upon Christ. Follow me. Jesus was baptized, he commands you to be baptized, and if you love him, you'll submit to being baptized. And for us that have been baptized and are believers, every day we are challenged to live in a way that affirms our answer. As Brother Jeff comes, Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the truth of your word. And and of all the things that have been said, Lord, I pray that we would see the value of Christ as superseding any difficulty that may be incurred in the days that we walk here on earth, and that we would sell out everything to live for your glory. We pray these things by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.